Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we have got a really fun matchup to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 81. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films as we break down a great Eagles win over the Atlanta Falcons as this team keeps their home winning streak alive. Greg and I react to what we saw on tape before jumping into this week's matchup over the Seattle Seahawks. Next up, we've got Scouting Report, where I want to talk about a guy that many people saw as a reach when the Seahawks took him in the second round last year, but I thought he was a bit of a steal. I'll explain who that is in our Scouting Report. We have got a ton to get into, so let's not waste any time at all. Greg and I talk Eagles-Falcons before we get into everything you need to know about Sunday's matchup against Seattle. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, NFL Films senior producer Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, here we are. It's week 11 now of the NFL season. The Eagles traveling out west to take on the Seattle Seahawks. But before we get into that matchup, which everybody wants to know and wants to hear our thoughts on, what is the Eagles' game plan going to look like going up against Seattle? But let's first look back at this great win that the team had this past Sunday against Atlanta. It's interesting kind of getting the local reaction. I kind of think people are, are kind of blowing over this win as if it wasn't a great win against <laughs> the number one offense in football. And let's start there on that side of the football. I thought it was really interesting just to see how the defense would respond against the number one offense, the number one passing offense, the number one receiver. Uh, You could argue that no quarterback is playing as well over the course of the first ten games than Matt Ryan was for Atlanta. What was your biggest takeaway when going through the defensive tape after your film study on Monday, Eagles-Falcons? Well, in some ways, Fran, it was an odd game on that side of the ball because – the Eagles started out with a really good drive, and, and it almost had the feel, I felt, when the Falcons started, they seemed to be out of sync with what with the way they played up to this game right from the start. I felt like they didn't really have any commitment to running the ball early. Um, I, I just felt like they were not in sync, and it, it just struck me that that played right into the hands of the Eagles. And, and I guess what surprised me, too, is the Eagles did – very little, if anything, with Julio Jones. They just pretty much played straight up. I was surprised at the number of times they played single high safety and man-to-man, cover one as we call it, and just had either Mills, Carroll, uh, who who were the two starters, uh, just match up to him. Now, did Julio catch a few balls? Sure he did. But Jim Schwartz did not go into this game clearly with the idea that we have to take away Julio Jones. That was clearly not part of the game plan. And and when you weren't in single high man coverage, right. a lot of the th- a lot of what we saw was some form of cover two. Yep. You know, whether it was Tampa two or your just, just your basic cover two. And I think part of that, and when you're talking about playing cover two, obviously you're talking about two safeties deep, which means you don't have a safety up near the line of scrimmage. I think that's a testament to the defensive line and really the front yeah. seven in general of what they were able to do controlling that well, Atlanta offensive front. The other thing that really struck me was what Benny Logan means to this defense. 
Because one of the things, look, we know he's a good player. Sure. Okay, that's not the point. But the what he gives the Eagles is the ability to be more diverse alignment-wise up front because both Benny Logan and Fletcher Cox can play either the one technique or the three technique, whereas really Bo Allen, he's not really a three technique. Uh, so now you're in a situation where you have two very good defensive linemen, Logan and Cox, who can play both those positions, and that really, really helps your D-line. Yeah, no question. It was it, Benny finished with no tackles in the day, but was yeah, but so was, disruptive. He was dominant in early in this game. In many ways, he set a tone early in this game. Yeah, no question about it. I thought Fletcher had a strong game. Uh, Brandon, Ga- Brandon Graham, once again, uh, a force off the edge yep. in this game as well. You look at the linebackers. I thought Jordan Hicks had another excellent yeah. game. The very first play from scrimmage, uh, they ran they ran a run play right at Jordan Hicks. A lineman is right on top of him. I remember and you see he, him yeah. jack the lineman yep. up, throw yep. him off, and make yep. a tackle. Yeah, no, he's. I think overall, Hicks and Bradham have played well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I think they've gotten really solid play for the most part from the front group, whether it's a front six or a front seven. Obviously, we talked last week about how Kendricks only played two or three snaps against the Giants, and this week he was a major part of what they did. In fact, it was early in the game. They went five defensive linemen with Kendricks as the only linebacker on the field. So they only did that one time, I believe. But with it was, three safeties, I believe, right, too. It was, uh, was it? Yeah, I uh, believe so. But, but they clearly wanted to show that. Yeah. And uh, I thought they'd come back to it because it was early, but they didn't. Maybe they would have if the game was different. Yeah, no question. And so it was interesting seeing – the linebackers and the quality that they were able to bring to the table on Sunday. Let's talk about the corners. And you talked about how confident Jim Schwartz was in playing those guys man-to-man against Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu and the rest of this receiving core. What were your thoughts on Jalen Mills? And we talked about him every single week and how – you know, whether it's Alshon Jeffrey or Odell Beckham or Antonio Bryant, every week we say – Man, he just competes. He just, he, he just, he's relentless in how he plays, and you saw more of that on Sunday. And I thought he had a good game. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think that coming away, getting meaningful snaps against Julio Jones, as he did in this game because he didn't match up, I thought he played a good game. Um, this past game, I think there were 35 dropbacks, if I'm not mistaken. I think so, uh, yep. And actually, the Eagles blitzed percentage-wise in this game more than in any other game. Uh, on, they blitzed on 31% of the 35 dropbacks, which was their highest total, I believe, of the season. And so they and, – and it was man blitz as well. Um, yeah, they did the zone yeah, exchange the zone concept. Exchange, yep. Yeah, it's always Bradham. But there were some man blitzes where they, they matched up. And I thought Mills handled himself really well. And I, I hope it's – that he continues because I think he can be a corner. I think it was, it was eight reps total that he was manned up one-on-one right. on one against Julio Jones. He gave up two catches for 34 yards. They were the first two targets. Right. And after that, he didn't give up a catch. Right, he had the right, PI late in the right. game, uh, which is kind of a bang-bang play. But he gave up two catches on the first two targets, and then that was it uh, for the rest of the day for Julio Jones when he was manned up one-on-one in man coverage against Jalen Mills. Uh, Nolan Carroll, we'll see what his status is moving forward. I'll tell you what, man. Nolan is, has played well again this season, two straight years, I think, that he's played. You know, I'm not saying he's a Pro Bowl player, but has played at a pretty high level for this defense. Yeah, and again, he got burned a couple of times by Julio, which doesn't – Yeah, yeah, that (laughs) happens. Um, But I think overall – you know, I I think the corner position has been probably the most sporadic. It's been up and down. There's been times they've played really well, and there's been other times no. Um, It's just hard not to continually be impressed with Malcolm Jenkins and what he does and what they ask him to do. 
And Rodney McLeod, again, what he's asked to do within the context of this defense, I think he's playing at a really, really high level. Yeah, no question about it. So it was very good to see the defense perform at the level yeah. that they did against the number one offense in football. And when you talk about the Eagles offense, obviously it was a, a coming out party for the run game. Certainly probably the the most complete game by the Eagles offensive line. I don't know if that's something you, you mentioned last week, how you were so impressed with the Eagles offensive line in general. What were your thoughts coming away from this game? Run game, I thought they were, for the most part, really good. Uh, pass game, I thought there were some issues here and there, but run game, what most impressed me, to be honest with you, Fran, about the run game was the diversity of it. I thought it was yeah. such an impressive performance. It's I funny mean, you say I'm that. probably yeah. missing some, but I, I noted inside zone, mid zone, outside zone, power, counter, duo, trap, what I call pin and pull sweep. I don't yep. know what you call it. Yep. Sprint draw. I'm probably missing one or two others. But I just the jet. There was the yeah. jet trap. Yeah. There, was a, there were a lot of variations. It's and, funny you mentioned that. And I just, I mean, it just started as I was watching the, the tape. I went back and, and looked at some plays that I – didn't mark down what they were to say, hey, let me go see those again. Just to, you know, And it was just the diversity and the multiplicity of the run game uh, I thought was outstanding. It's funny you mentioned because I just got done writing my uh, All-22 recap on the Eagles offense and talked about their rushing prowess on first down. They averaged over seven yards a carry on first down. Obviously, that had a huge impact on the Eagles' third down numbers in terms of passing the football. But when you look at their rushing on first down, I picked six plays where they ran – uh, there were big gains on first down, six completely different runs. And you yep. mentioned half of those runs there, all the different kinds of, uh, of styles that we saw. This goes back to training camp. I remember sitting uh, in the stands here at the Novacare Complex watching practice with you yeah. early in training camp and seeing, man, Greg, look, look at all the I different know, we run talking about that we see. And yeah. you got to see that in this game. Well, it's funny because I also the, – the thing that was really interesting too is – as I'm watching the game, and, you know, sometimes when we watch on Sunday, we notice some things but not others because, we're, you know, we're watching as a fan as well. Right, sure. You, know, you get into the game, and this was a great game to watch on Sunday. Uh, but then I'm watching, and I'm noticing all the, the 11 personnel packages, you know, one back, one tight, three wide. And because many people might think, oh, they ran the ball, so you're running it out of two tight or, you know, whatever, you know, tighter formations. But it was a lot of, of three wide. In fact, 70% of the snaps in the game came out of 11 personnel and their run game out of 11 was 19 rushes for 141 yards, 7.4 yards per rush out of wow. 11 personnel. And so they, you know, so yes, sometimes the formations are tighter with what we call nasty splits by the wide receivers, but they ran out of three wide receivers, which means that you're pretty much getting the Falcons' defense in their nickel. One thing that's been pretty consistent over the last few weeks has been uh, some of the extra O-line packages. You know, yeah. it's, been, it's been Matt Tobin in the past. This was the first week where we really got to see Isaac Sayamalu, yep. not as a, as a fullback in the backfield like we saw two weeks ago against New York, but as that sixth offensive lineman. I really like the idea of doing that, especially with the younger players, because you kind of get their feet wet a little bit, get them some reps, even if it's at a position that they're not going to play once he's a full-time player. It's good to get to see Isaac I'm, out there as a third-round I'm player. anxious to see if they start doing more with it. They, they had six O-linemen 12 times in this game. 11 times they ran yeah. for 58 yards. Really yeah. good. But, you know, I've seen a lot of teams like the Oakland Raiders throw out of this. And because most teams, they see 6-0 linemen, they expect run. It's heavy personnel. So I'm anxious to see. Um, one thing we know about Doug, he's not adverse to, to doing different things. Uh, he's not adverse to multiplicity in his offense, no, clearly. definitely not. So I'm anxious to see if they expand upon that. The 58-yarder to Bryce Treggs two weeks ago. 
uh, against the New York Giants was out of 6-0 line. Matt Tobin was in the, in the and game. And two so tight ends. Yeah, so there was Treggs a 13. was the yeah. only wide receiver on the field. Exactly. Right. So maybe we'll see a little bit yeah. more of that as well, some throwing out of those extra O-line sets. But uh, certainly very interesting to watch that. What did you think of uh, Carson Wentz in the game? I thought he was really, really efficient. You know, and, and I said this to you um, while we were watching the game. I thought it was evident he was coached this week hard on his lower body mechanics because I thought he threw the ball. He was lighter on his feet. There was more knee bend. Notice he didn't throw any high balls this week. Yep. Um, he looked much more compact, and I guarantee that was worked on during the week. And with, within the context of this offense, I thought he was really, really efficient. I thought they had a great feel for the Falcons' defense. We broke down some things last week involving certain coverages, and, and obviously people can't see them now, so I'll just make the point that the Falcons did a good job taking away uh, taking away some things they'd struggled with earlier, and the Eagles had an answer for it. And I thought it was really, again, a really excellent job by the coaching staff having a great feel for the defense and the coverages they were getting. Not only that, too, in the downfield passing game, but then you also saw a lot of the things they did with Darren Sproles oh. in the passing game, not just necessarily in the screen game, but in motioning him out of the backfield. We're, we're going to talk about empty sets later well, with Seattle, what they did with Sproles in this game. That's the issue you face if you're a nickel defense, and, and Atlanta plays a lot of nickel. Um, what you get is, uh, and even if you play dime, but you're going to get usually a linebacker on Sproles. And it was predominantly Deion Jones. And he's a very athletic player, but it's just a tough matchup to have to deal with Darren Sproles, whether he's in the backfield, whether he's detached from the formation, certainly if he goes in motion. Uh, and the Eagles did all of this. What, is, what does it do for a defender when a receiver, when a guy like Darren Sproles is stacked behind a player like Zach Ertz, because you saw that a lot in this game. Yep. What does that do? If you're Deion Jones and you see Darren Sproles stacked behind a tight end, what does that do for you defensively? Well, first of all, you've got to play with some distance from him. You certainly can't get up close to him. You can't hug him. So you have to get – you play with some distance, and what that then does is it gives Sproles a two-way go. And when you're, when you're a better athlete and you know where you're going and you have a two-way go – uh, more often than not, Sproles is going to win. And they used him almost as a drive sustainer. Like you said, you didn't see deeper wheel routes. You didn't see anything like that. You just saw them use him on some option routes, some quick out routes. I mean, things that just sustain drives. We talked about the run game. We yeah. didn't really talk about the backs in the run game. Uh, what were your thoughts on Ryan Matthews, kind of his uh, revival of sorts in this game against uh, against Atlanta, he he goes for over 100 yards. He runs for a touchdown as well. What were your thoughts of Matthews in this game? I thought he ran really, really well. And and what, what I really liked about him was I thought that he, he pressed the hole. And when there were double teams, he hugged the double teams. He had a run. To me, the run that stood out, and I know we, we all see different things, the run that stood out to me, and I made a note of it, was it was 20 yards on the f second possession of the third quarter, and they had six O-line personnel yep. in the game. Yep. And I thought that he th – the Falcons were actually in a reduced front, and he did such a good job of attacking downhill and influencing the linebacker before he then broke. You know, Because he, what you have to do is you have to stay on your path because you're influencing second-level defenders. And, you know, a lot of people might not realize with a back, you have to understand your role in influencing second-level defenders, and you also have to understand fronts because you don't want to cut right to an unblocked player. Yeah. So I thought that run stood out to me, but overall I thought he, he ran with great feel. And, see, I've always felt, as I know you have, that Ryan Matthews has a lot of ability, but ability in and of itself doesn't make a feature back. Now, he had a great game this week. We'll obviously get to Seattle here in a moment. 
they're going to have to run the ball this week with some degree of efficiency. Yeah, I would agree. That's going to be a big part of how they're going to try and beat the Seattle Seahawks. My favorite run, I think, was the it was his 21-yarder, the, the longer the day, where it was a split zone run, and you kind of saw the impact of the split zone, too, because you saw the linebackers yep. kind of cheat a little bit with Zach Ertz's backfield motion. The safety comes down to fill on the play side C-gap, and you saw – Ryan Matthews, as he's attacking the line of scrimmage, really just run right off the backside hip of Jason Kelsey and run right I know the downhill. play. That was a great ex- – I made a note. Uh, staying on downhill path, pressing the hole, and hugging the double team. It was perfect. It was perfect. Yeah, it, it was that really That was another well run. That was probably my second favorite run. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was really good to see uh, the backs come back strong in this game against Atlanta. And we can do that to, to transition now into this game against Seattle. And, and I agree. I think that they're going to need to run the ball against this team. But it's not it's no small feat. I mean, look, they're, well, they're, they're ninth in the league against the run right now, allowing just over 96 yards per game on the ground. You've got a pretty strong defensive front, and you've got those two linebackers, K.J. Wright and Bobby Wagner. Well, let's go back to 2014. Yep, okay. Okay, Doug Peterson was uh, on the staff of the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay. Kansas City Chiefs beat the Seattle Seahawks 24-20 to that year. They ran for 190 yards. Okay, I went back and I looked at that. Oh, this is good. Okay, this okay. is next-level stuff right here. Okay. okay, because obviously it's very similar stuff. Yes. You know what, what they had great success with? What's that? The trap game. And we saw trap we this saw week. We saw trap this week, yep, in a couple and, different forms. Yep. And, and actually Sproles, I think, had an 11- or 12-yard run on trap. We've seen the Eagles start to do that a little bit more. So I think Doug Peterson is going to look at that game from two years ago and take some things from it. Now, granted, they had Jamal Charles, and as much as we liked Ryan Matthews this week, he's not quite Jamal Charles, but it's not the player, it's the scheming of it. For the, we've talked about trap a little bit on both sides, really, because we've seen every single Eagles opponent yep. run the trap play against the Eagles defensive front. As Atlanta did a couple of times. Exactly. What, well, it, what is the works really well against penetrating 4-3 defense. Why? Defenses. Tell us why. Because what you're doing is you're trapping what we call the three-technique D-tackle. Okay, now the three-technique D-tackle lines up between the guard, the offensive guard, and the offensive tackle, and he basically just penetrates right upfield. He's, he's an upfield player. He's not waiting to see what happens. He goes upfield. So what you do is you have the guard and tackle to that side, basically with their initial step, make it look like they're going to block him, and then he gets prepared to take on a block. Those guys then disappear, and you get the backside guard who's then going to come and hit him without him even being aware that that's happening. And very often that tackle then falls down, right. which we saw this week. We actually I saw it a number of times when I went back to 2014. And it's a great way to take care of a penetrating three-technique D-tackle. And the second part of that is you get two offensive linemen immediately up to the second level, in this case to block Wagner and Wright. And normally, because you have a nose tackle who's really a shade, not a true nose, you get an angle block for Kelsey, which is absolutely critical. And I thought, by the way, in this game, they played so much to Kelsey's strengths. Yeah, it was, I agree. It was angle blocks. Yeah, it, it was the short pull. skip pulls. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, they did such a good job playing to Kelsey's strengths. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see the kinds of runs that they try and pull out here against Seattle because you, yeah. you mentioned it, it really is uh, really effective against those aggressive fronts. Yeah. And you have to – I mean, you cannot – first of all, you can't go into this game thinking you're going to throw to win. As much as we might like the, the development of the Eagles' offensive line, Fran, they are not going to be able to throw the ball as a foundation. Now, they'll be called out a quick game. That's what they'll do. And who knows? They may have success with it. Um, but 
they're going to have to be balanced. If they cannot run the ball, at some point their offense will stop. When you look at Seattle's defense, I mean, you kind of look at the numbers a little bit. They're number one in the NFL in average length of scoring drive, so over over nine and a half uh, plays per scoring drive. That they so they basically they force teams to drive the ball downfield. They only allow they've only allowed two plays of uh, two running plays of over twenty plus yards, two touchdowns of over twenty yards. They don't allow big plays. They do not, and they make you drive the field. So. Really, this is going to be, and if you look, you talk about those keys. Yep. You've got to run the ball, and, you, and the quick game is going to be important. It, it's interesting that that kind of plays into what the Eagles will have to do in terms of what has been successful right, against this team. Right, right. And I, ideally, the Eagles' defense keeps the game close because if you have to get away from playing this way, you're in trouble. Because the reality is in this game, and, and we don't sugarcoat it, Fran. You just go by what the tape tells you. If the Eagles get stuck – have having to throw the ball with deeper drops, you know, having to try to pick up chunk yards, their O line will not hold up against this D. This D line, even if Michael Bennett doesn't play, is really explosive. I mean, if you watch Frank Clark, who I know you loved coming out of Michigan, loved and you Frank turned Clark. out to be right, he looks like a mini Michael Bennett right now. And obviously, they've got Cliff Averill. You know, Vitae, if he has to pass protect, one on one is going to have a hard time. Yeah, on deeper drops. Sure, no doubt. So then when you look at this defensive front, you mentioned all the, the talent that they've got. You talk about this secondary now. Obviously, we know what the, all the names. We know They're Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas. When I saw the schedule come out and I saw, the, okay, the Eagles play the Atlanta Falcons and then they play the Seattle Seahawks, I thought, oh, this is this is good because, you know, you kind of get the, the, the precursor in Atlanta, the appetizer to the main course in terms of these. It helps you prepare for that defense. Then you study Seattle, and you see it's not quite the same scheme as what no. you've expected in the past from that P, those Pete Carroll defenses. Yeah, and again, it was Dan Quinn and Gus Bradley before him, and those defenses were known for being predominant cover three zone defenses. The Seahawks had the best talent, and therefore they made it work, but they were somewhat predictable in how they played. You just had a hard time because the talent was so good. Chris Richard's in his second year as the D coordinator. Young guy. Um, he has put his stamp on this defense, Fran. They, sure, they play cover three, uh, but they've added a lot of man concepts. They play what we call cover three boundary lock a lot, where to the short side of the field, they'll match up man to man. They play a lot of man now, just straight man concepts, whether it's two man, but a lot more single high. And they, they, now they man blitz as well. They blitz more. So the, the two features of this Chris Richard defense, as it's evolved, has been more man coverage, and more blitz. And you have to be prepared for that. When they play one high in, in man coverage, you see Earl Thomas in the deep middle. Cam Chancellor is the tight end guy. What have you thought? I know he was injured and missed some right. time. But overall, what have been your thoughts on Cam Chancellor as a man player against tight ends overall this season? I think he's up and down. I, I think that if he plays Zach Ertz, and I know Zach's had some good games, I think that that's not a really hard matchup for him. I mean, and again, I'm not saying Zach Ertz is going to catch the ball. I mean, uh, but, you know, it, it's going to be a bit of a struggle for Zach Ertz. I think that, you know, he's going to have to try to create separation from Cam Chancellor. Uh, you know, every once in a while, Earl Thomas comes down, and if you're in a three-by-one set, sometimes Earl Thomas plays uh, the inside slot man-to-man. They, they do different things now. I think one big key, before we transition to the Seattle offense, one big key for the Eagles offense will be when they get down into the red zone, 
you got to get touchdowns instead of field goals. Yeah. You're on the road, but then uh, this is also one of the top red zone defenses in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, they do a great job of protecting their goal <laughs> they line. They sure do. Uh, I think you know, Ben Fennel, who does a great job, helped me out with the Eagles game plan and, and everything that we do here from an all-22 perspective. He told me that they have yet to allow a touchdown, and this was before last night's game, Monday night's game, so I'm not sure if it held up. They have yet to allow a touchdown pass where the receiver caught the ball in the end zone, which I have to check well, and see if Brady that's the case. Well, Brady didn't throw a touchdown. So. Yeah, so I have to check yeah. and see if that's the, if that's actually the case. Yeah. Uh, but just really incredible that they've been done, they've done such a good job close to the goal line. They've got eight sacks inside their own 30, which is number one in the NFL. So getting down to the red zone, touchdowns instead of field goals will be big for this Eagles offense. Now let's transition to the Seattle offense yeah. because – Interesting to see the transformation there as well. Not what we've too. seen. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. A little different, too. So explain. I mean, obviously, a lot of people remember the days of Marshawn Lynch, power running, uh, Russell Wilson under center a lot. Now they have really transformed. As a passing team, they're a spread passing team. Russell Wilson's in the shotgun quite a bit. Uh, they're an empty quite a bit, Fran. That has, that's a staple concept for them is Russell Wilson. Well, the Seahawks in empty sets, and, and whether it's – Two, you know, three by two. We saw some four by one off motion, which you don't see very often in the NFL. Uh, but this is a team that spreads it out to throw. They don't throw a lot with, with Russell Wilson under center. It's interesting now when when they go empty, they've quickly become a team. For for a long time, early on in Russell Wilson's career, it was well, they've got Russell Wilson who can run around and make plays. They run the football really well. They don't have a ton of weapons. But now you look at it and it's. Well, you got Jimmy Graham. Or the, you know, let's just say they go five wide. You got Jimmy Graham. You've got C.J. Proceis, who was dynamite this past week against New England. You've got Doug Baldwin, who is as good a route runner as anybody in oh. the NFL. You've got Paul Richardson, who can stretch teams deep. You know, this has quickly Lockett. become. You've got Tyler Lockett. I didn't even yeah. mention Tyler Lockett, who has been a great deep ball player for them, and is just so quick in and out of breaks. I mean, you've got a lot of different weapons there, and they really just kind of spread you out, and he's able to take advantage of matchups that are favorable for the offense. And I think Baldwin, and I've probably seen every Seattle game for the last four years, probably since Russell Wilson's been in the league. And I think is fourth year or fifth year? This is Wilson's fourth year, I believe. Okay. Um, but Doug Baldwin, to me, and and he's a really good player. I think it might fourth. This is fifth year. Fifth, fifth, I just yeah, counted fifth, on my hands. Yeah, it's fifth yeah. year. Um, and I tell you, the guy he reminds me of, he's not quite as explosive, but he kind of reminds me, body type and movement, of Steve Smith. Yeah, you told me that this week. That's yeah, right. and he's a really good route runner. And, you know, there are some weeks where their concepts are so good, you come away thinking they're really tough to defend. Now, they also have some weeks where you watch their tape and, you th and you're not sure exactly what they're trying to get done. And that's why they've been up and down at times uh, with their pass game. But some weeks, and, and we saw some of it this past week, they had great success out of empty against the Patriots. They had five big third-down conversions out of empty with some some pretty good concepts, a, a, a good mix of concepts and individual matchups that they were able to win, and that's where ProSize really comes into play. Yeah, and I think that's what, you know, coming into this game, you know, when I watched them over the, over the weekend and over the course of last week preparing for Atlanta, I thought, you know what, I don't know, what is, what is the identity? of this Seattle offense. You know, what is it? What is the state? What are they definitely going to try yeah. and do? 
But now you come away from this game and you're like, all right, well, you have to worry about the empty sets. you got to worry about the matchup problems uh, because Jimmy Graham certainly presents them and C.J. Procise certainly does outside of the backfield. Every time I've heard Pete Carroll talk about C.J. Procise since they drafted him, he's like gushing. You can't help but think he's Reggie Bush 2.0 for well, him he's, from what he had at USC. You know, he's a guy who, as you know, went to Notre Dame as a wideout. He was Notre Dame's special team MVP once year, yep. one year. Then he was – he became a running back, so he doesn't have a lot of experience. Uh, because of that, he doesn't have natural power yet, even though he's big. In some ways, he's utilized like, even though he's not the same caliber of player, but he can be utilized like a David Johnson. Sure. Now, I he's not say, that, yeah. that kind I see of what runner. You mean. I see what you but mean. the way he can be deployed within an offense, he's similar. Um, and I'll tell you what, the Eagles are a nickel defense. They don't play dime. I mean, I think if they played five or seven or ten snaps a dime all year, it's it's right. a lot. Yeah. And when you go empty, if you want to play man, now we don't. This is a challenge for Jim Schwartz. He's a lot smarter than I am, so you know we'll see what he does. But this is a challenge because if they go empty with Procise and Graham, you know, you'd have to believe in nickel. Jalen Watkins gets out of Jalen Watkins goes on Graham. A linebacker, I would assume, would have to play Procise. There's yeah. no one else. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's if you go way, man. Now maybe you don't go man. Yeah, that's really the only way that you would probably draw it up. So it'll be interesting to see how the Eagles do try to defend that. Uh, let's quickly let's talk about this offensive line because I think it, people are so quick to say, oh, you know, this Seattle line's not any good. Yeah, yeah it's not yeah. any good. Yeah. And I kind of had that preconceived notion when I got into it, and I'm watching. I mean, you know what, like. It's not bad. It's not a bad group. They need work. They're not, I'm not saying it's a great what group. Happens is Inside, it, it's pretty good. They have snaps that are awful. Yeah. And, and, and those snaps, people think, oh, it's – and they usually have They're a bad. couple of those yeah, every sure. game. Of course. They're playing a basketball player at left tackle, George Fant, who the last time he played football was in eighth grade. He's actually pretty athletic with good knee bend. He just doesn't know how to play yet, and he's going to need a lot of work. Um I'm hearing, Walking off the bus, you're looking at him, and you're like, that guy actually kind of looks like a left tackle. Yeah, you're exactly right. All right. Um, uh, he has no idea how to run block either because he's never done that. That's a technique thing. That's sure. not just an athletic thing. Yep. Uh, now, I've heard this week they might make a change at right tackle because Bradley Sowell is, is back, and he might play right tackle because Gillum has been awful at right. He's been he, their weak He link. has been the weak link. Yeah, I agree. Now, I think Lewinsky, who, if I remember correctly, was a fourth-round pick out of West Virginia, who I kind of liked. He's been up and down, but I think there's a chance for him to be a pretty good player. Had but a couple nice blocks Monday night. Yeah, he, I saw yeah he's move. been up and down. Yep. Britt has been really good at center. Number really one takeaway is how yeah. he has transitioned from tackle to center. He's he a, looks really natural there. He sure does. And he's athletic for a center because he Barry. played left tackle in college. Yep. So, and actually, glowinski has got some athletic movement to him as well. Um, the right guard is the rookie of Fetty, and... I like Fetty. I mean, I think, again, he's got has some bad snaps here and there, but he also has some pretty good ones. You like you liked him more than I did coming yeah, out of A&M, yeah. and I, but I, he looks better than I thought he would. He, yeah. He's so quick out of his stance. And so when they run and those stretch really runs. he's got really long arms. He yeah. looks the part. Yeah. When, when they run those stretch run plays, yeah. he's able to cut the backside. Yep. He's able to reach frontside blocks. So he can get to the second level. He's pretty impressive I mean, if, athletically. if Glowinski can develop a little bit, their interior three could be a pretty – Pretty good trio right I agree. there as time develops. Yep. But you're right. This feeling that, oh, their O-line stinks. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't stink. They've got some th- – I mean, obviously the tackle position needs to be better on both sides. But this O-line just doesn't stink. Now, having said that, this is where the Eagles right. need to dominate. I was just going to say They absolutely that. need to dominate. 
against this O-line, or they're going to have a difficulty. If they can't dominate against this O-line, they're going to have a tough time. Yeah, you definitely want to be able to, to much like last week, and yeah. we talked about how it was so important for the Eagles to be able to play too high safety and that the Eagles' front yeah. seven was able to do what they did against Atlanta. You need a repeat effort this week against Seattle. But, uh, Greg, very much looking forward to I watching so it looking Sunday forward afternoon. to this game. Because I, I don't know how you feel. I don't have a feel. I mean, we can talk variables and X's and O's. I don't have a, a gut feel for this game. Yeah, it, it's going to be Not a really yet, great anyway. matchup. Maybe by Sunday I will, but yeah. I don't have one now. Uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a really great matchup on both sides of the football. Very, very excited to watch it. And so we'll, we will see how it all unfolds Sunday uh, out in the Pacific Northwest. Until then, appreciate the time here, as always, on the Eagle Island Sky podcast. Thanks, Rant. Great stuff from Greg. Again, you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show. The other is to go on to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and give us a rating and leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out this week to Joshua Johnson, who every week – shares this podcast on Twitter and on his social platforms every single week without fail and leaves comments whenever he can. So thanks to Joshua and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you earlier I wanted to profile a player that has been extremely productive for this Seahawks defense. Time to reveal who that is now in Scouting Report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so for the scouting report this week, I want to talk about Frank Clark, a player that Greg mentioned earlier in Chalk Talk that I loved coming out of Michigan, and he's right. You know, just under six foot three, 271 pounds. He started 26 games for Michigan throughout his career. Now, he had a major off-the-field issue that was really serious, and he was arrested. He missed the rest of that year. It was, it was actually right around this time that year. But I was blown away by his tape. You know, and what I saw of him on the football field, his final year with the Wolverines, really, I, I had him ranked over guys like Shane Ray, who was a first-round pick. Nate Orchard was a second-round pick. Danielle Hunter, who was a, a third-round pick. But I really, really liked coming out of LSU. I had him ranked ahead of all those guys. I really liked Frank Clark, and I, I was kind of alone there. A lot of people thought that he was a bit of a reach in the, in the second round. I thought he was a first-round talent. Obviously, you had to deal with the off-the-field, and that had a big impact on where he was ultimately drafted but when you watched him on tape at Michigan you saw a guy that played as a defensive end in their three in a three-point stance in their 4-3 defense sometimes he did stand up sometimes he stood up uh, in the middle stacked uh, coming down as a blitzer in the middle of the defense as well really good initial quickness very quick first step fluid athlete you know I thought he was late on his feet good movement skills avoided blocks with his agility and he showed the ability to bend when turning the corner and keeping his balance and again for a guy who's 6'3 271 pounds I thought that was really impressive could accelerate turning the corner as a pass rusher and I thought he showed a lot of different moves you know he won in a a number of different ways he won with speed he had a dynamite spin move he had a good swim move a bull rush, he can go speed to power, all that still is in his toolbox when he's attacking offensive tackles at the NFL level. You also see him line up over guards at times and win inside. So when he was initially blocked, I thought he really transitioned quickly to his counter moves. So when I talk about pass rush skill, 
I saw a lot of that with Frank Clark when I watched him in Michigan. You know, when he uh, when he gets into blockers, he shows good hand placement. He can lock out and two gap as a run defender. He showed the ability to to shed and get off as well. Uh, really anchored and held up well. Really tough player. High motor. Will chase outside the numbers. Show the ability to, to to drop in coverage as well in short zones. Just really really fun player to watch overall. Now the questions I had, obviously you had to worry about the off field. He was late off the ball at times. And I thought that in coverage, his instincts could improve a little bit. But other than that, I thought this kid brought everything to the table as a defensive lineman. And he has really turned into a very fantastic player for the Seahawks. And with Michael Bennett on the shelf, Pete Carroll said earlier this week that he w- it would be miraculous for Bennett to come back onto the field this week. Clark has been really, really effective for them, playing opposite of Cliff Averill. And in sub-package, he does slide inside. Now, uh, one of the things that I wrote down when I watched Clark – in college was a player that he reminded me of. He was bigger than this player, but he reminded me of former Eagle Trent Cole just because of his motor, his ability to win in a number of different ways. Remember, Cole had all those different ways that he would attack offensive linemen, whether it was you know with his bull rush, with a speed, with an inside swim, he'd do the hand swipe, all the energy he played with really reminded me of Cole. His athletic measurables were pretty comparable, though Clark was a little bit taller and a little bit heavier than Cole was coming out of Cincinnati. I thought from a play personality, a play style perspective, that those two were very, very similar. So, again, great stuff from Greg Cosell. And all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes or Stitcher or iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app, thank you. And, again, if you get the time, rate the show, leave us a comment. If you leave us a question... I will answer it right here on the show. You get a little shout-out. You get your, your Twitter handle or you can get your uh, your iTunes handle. Shout it out on the show. I'll answer the question. We'll spend some time diving deep into that. So if there's ever anything specific you want me to hit on in depth, I'll take requests from you out there. Just leave us a comment on the page. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.